Hello and welcome to Going Off Season, a uh, off-season AFL podcast where we discuss all the things that happen off-season, player movement, delisting, trading, the draft, pretty much everything you can imagine all that we it. could cover. My name is Alex Catalano. I'm joined by Luca Catalano, the resident draft expert, uh, probably the person who knows the most about the AFL draft, who isn't actually employed to learn about it. Uh, Luca, thank you for joining me. And... We've got a lot to cover in our short little time. We do. And um, it's a funny year as someone who pays attention to um, the draft crop every year and um, the under-18s across the country. It's a funny year to start a podcast when this is something that you like because compared to other years, I feel like I've just had nothing to work with. It's a weird year, like obviously with uh, with lockdown, uh, the Victorian sides, well, the Victorian yeah. under-18s haven't had a chance to play footy at all. The other states, we've still gotten a bit of a look at, but uh, a bit a of very, a look very, at. it's a very hard, very hard year to be a list manager. Yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely hard year to be a list manager and it's a hard year to be a scout because you have, you probably have some people who, some players who you've been watching for a year or two and... Um, whether they play well or bad or look really good or look really shaky wherever their um, seasons have restarted post-COVID lockdown, I would be super unsure how to take any of it. Like yeah. as, a, as a scout, do I just write off 2020 and I'm like, you know what, you look good in 2019. <laughs> this, is a, this is a drop in the pan. This is not reflective of your actual ability. So Yeah. Well, yeah. there's a few teams that really can't afford to do that. A few of them we are going to touch on. Yeah. Uh, today, some of the teams rebuilding, some of them are sort of already past that rebuild and looking to be on the rise. Uh, North Melbourne is one of those teams who are rebuilding and have had a very, very uh, tough year on field and off field as well. 11 delistings already so far. 11, uh, which is quite mad when you consider how recently the, um, <clears throat> how recently not only the season ended, but how recently they rated themselves so highly. They didn't mm. get. They didn't trade in Jared Polek. They didn't sell the farm for Jared Polek to rebuild. Yeah. They 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 got Polek to um open their finals window and at the start of the year I I'm not sure if literally anybody remembers this because I'm not sure if literally anybody remembers the start of the year <laughs> but there was like a champion data sort of list about the way that champion data like you know, rates every player and then mm. what team's list has the highest overall rating. And obviously it was just clickbait and everything. There was like fucking 50 SEN headlines articles being like, you won't believe who's at number four. And who was at number four was North Melbourne because yeah. they had the top four list quality apparently. And flash forward, 11 listings. Their three probably best players look like they're going to get moved on and it's not their decision. Mm. And a full rebuild has been like, you know, verbatim stated by the club. So, yeah. um, Look, they're probably in the most unique position of any club in the AFL at the moment where, yeah, like you said, at the start of 2019, they probably thought they were going to be challenging for finals and then suddenly I Brad did. Scott's out, Rayshaw's in. They... They finished the year well, but now it just has looked like a totally different side on field. And plenty of things have weighed into that. Obviously, they've had their fair share of injuries and things during the games. And it's a, it's a hard year to have to blood so many of these kids all at once. But at the same time, you look at some of the names that they did uh, get rid of. One of the ones that really stands out to me, Lockie Hosey. Uh, I don't know why. He was one of the guys that you'd think they'd be bringing in as one of those rebuilding pieces a young forward who has been excellent in the, the, the games that he's played in VFL level um, but plenty of other names you know Tom Murphy still young Crocker uh, Sam Dirt has still got footy to play uh, you can understand more the was, old guys well, yeah. Hearn as well is, has still got plenty of years of footy and Hearn um, was one of these guys that was originally brought in as someone who they believed they could develop so yeah. I, I really see I really see two groups. There's a group of players who are older and potentially best 22, but being forced out, and a group of players who are younger and they've decided they've lost patience. So 
in my opinion, the split is like this. They've lost patience in Tom Murphy, Lockie Hosey, Joel Crocker, and Paula Hearn. Mm-hmm. And then you think about the best 22 that they've been playing at the start of this year and last year. Mason Wood, Marley Williams, Jamie McMillan, Ben Jacobs, Sam Durden, Majak Dor. Yeah. These are players that would be locked or arguably into best 22s in the last three years. Mm-hmm. And they've been shown the door. McMillan is one that really surprises me, especially when you consider yeah. someone like Sean Attlee, who's probably in a more dire position than McMillan, I would think. He's older, has played more games, and has kind of been in that 22 for basically his whole career, um, yet has never really improved past what is, I guess, must be his ceiling at this point. Yep. As a passable midfielder, you know, he does what he needs to do uh, inside or out. But and he's played in halfback as need be. Yeah, but uh, those are the kinds of guys that I would have been getting rid of before. Yeah. Someone like McMillan or Pittard, but... Especially Pittard, I think. Pittard added a really different dimension to their defence. And I feel like, just building on what you said about McMillan... Um, mm. He always came across to me as a player who every now and then would have these crazy games when there was good matchups for North Melbourne in their back line. And I always thought if North Melbourne find that genuine Scott Thompson replacement, would that just make McMillan's life so much easier and would he look so much better as a player? Mm. It's like if he played with a really elite, complete back line, how good could he be? Because it always looked like he was doing shit that wasn't his job, but still managed to have really good games. Well, now with Aiden Core coming in, you think he might have actually gotten the shot uh, with exactly. the Thompson replacement, but he's not going to now. Uh, another team who has had to be a bit more aggressive with their list management for maybe a different reason, uh, the Suns uh, had an extended list this year as part of their concessions from last year, uh, where they could list 50 players, I believe it was, uh, so they've had to cut down significantly already. Seven players already delisted. Corey Ellis, Josh Schoenfeld, Mitch Reardon, uh, Fletcher, Joyce Dawson and Heron all coming off the Suns list. And with uh, rumours of uh, cut down lists next year, there could be even more. A lot of young guys having to make way uh, who just maybe haven't quite reached their potential uh, like some yeah. of the other talent. A lot of young guys who I think Gold Coast feel like they're in a position now of list health where they don't need to take chances and have a lot of project players. Mm -hmm. I think the idea of project players has changed a lot in the last few years with, you know, category B rookies coming and becoming a very vogue thing to have with your list. Yeah. American, get a couple of Irish players. There was a while there where, um, AFL clubs were looking at, you know, talent in every sporting code around mm-hmm. the world, even. They're still obsessed like, with basketballs at this point. Yeah, which is, let's let's talk about that another time. <laughs> but, could make um, a whole episode of its own on Category could, B. Could rookies, make a whole episode of going through which players you could say have a basketball background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be naming about half the uh, AFL lists, but... The guy that stands out the most to me uh, on this Suns lineup, well, a few of the guys actually, Mitch Reardon didn't get uh, a chance at all at 48. I don't think he didn't even debut uh, in no. his time at the Suns at all. So he was Mitch injured Re- a lot last year. He was. Um, but Mitch Reardon was a, um, he was the mid-season draft pick from the Suns yeah. who um, played for the Dandenong Stingrays. And I believe he, after he went undrafted, he kept playing for the Dandenong Stingrays because of the TAC Cup over age rules that changed that let players like Angus Hanrahan, who, you know, could have gotten drafted, but didn't go drafted to let them continue to press their cases. Mm-hmm. And Mitch Reardon, um, was a huge beneficiary of that and managed to get picked up. But what's happened now? And Sam Fletcher as well from that same year, at the start of last year as an SPP, Sam Fletcher was actually signed by the Box Hill Hawks. And just as, I don't know if it was a surprise re- surprise retirement or a, um, a long-term injury, but suddenly an SPP spot opened up at the Suns mm-hmm. and they um, swooped. And both of them were sort of like 
large inside out sort of very modern hybrid midfielders that certain scouts were very bullish on and thought that, you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to be able to burst onto the scene like big bodied midfielders like Marcus Bontempelli, but they have upside and with uh, fitness improvements, they could run in the midfield and use their athletic ability to devastating effect. But fuck that, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, what are you going to do? They're they're listed. I think some of these guys could end up finding a new home um, at some point, but it's all up in the air. Teams could be taking more of a gamble on delisted free agents. uh, Obviously now that a lot of the draft crop, as we said before, hasn't been able to show their talents this year. Um, so these guys could find their ways onto lists. I don't know. It's uh, the off season still very much unknown. Uh, Frio as well are another team that had to offload quite a few players. Another team with a new coach uh, and have, are looking like they're going to be a bit aggressive with their delistings here. Uh, I say Fremantle in this off season mm. and just from the start of the delistings look like the inti- the exact opposite of North Melbourne. They're in the exact opposite position where at the start of the year people would have been thinking. Jesus, we're in for a big, long rebuild. We had made it into a grand final. We pressed into the finals for a while and we tried to sort of tread water by trading in players that were going to supposedly keep the Dockers um, competitive. Nathan Wilson, Matera, they were supposed to be, you know, the new elements that were going to revitalise the list. And then Hogan was supposed to, you know, kick it all into nth gear. But what happened was... Last year, they decided the rebuild is what's going to happen. Angus Brayshaw, Adam Chera, Sean Darcy, these are the guys that can be built around more effectively. Mm-hmm. And then they were able to secure Caleb Sarong and um, Sam Sturt and Liam Henry, which is huge for them. Um, but what they showed us this year is that even in that development the way that they were able to a be coached but b in team selection find this happy medium of experienced players at the end of their careers or maybe in the middle of their careers and really raw talent and be ultra competitive i feel like at the start of the year when freo were loss were winless sorry people were thinking this is not a winless side though when you watched all of Fremantle's games they were super competitive up until the fourth quarter, they looked great and they were very close losses. And then once they started winning, they were beating teams that had no reason to lose to them. And yeah. so now on this offseason, it looks like let's just keep padding this list and collecting young talent that's going to, you know, be playing with the Angus Brayshaws and Caleb Sarongs of the world for the next decade. So there was a few players that quite controversially were pushed out of the door before mm-hmm. the season even ended. Cam McCarthy, obviously the, uh, the, the big one, that, yeah. the headline. Uh, it was it was a, a couple of, uh, around before, not around, a month before the season ended when the Dockers headed back up into the hub uh, and they decided, yeah, already it was time for McCarthy to go. He said he, they, I think they just came to the agreement that he wasn't going to be playing for the rest of the year. Uh, and his contract was made null and void. So he's a free agent on the open market now to McCarthy. Brandon Matera, as you mentioned before, another one of the senior players that's had to make way. Jason Carter. Uh, NGA Tom, prospect that was yep, highly touted. Yep, he's gone. Tom North, one that you, I know you're not happy, didn't even get a chance to prove Tom himself. North, in his TAC Cup year a few years ago, had stupid clearance numbers. Like I know sometimes it's just stats and people get quiet frustrated with people watching underage games and sort of, you know, building ideas about talent based purely on stats. Mm-hmm. But I, after I would watch the game, I'd noticed Tom North a bit. And then I was like, oh, fuck, that was 12 clearances. <laughs> Shit. So, look, I feel like the Fremantle midfield has been exceptionally hard to break into for a long time. Mm-hmm. The fact that Luke Valente hasn't debuted yet is fucked. Yeah, he is in, he's, he's a really skillful sort of jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none midfielder where I don't see him as like a very nuggety inside midfielder. I don't see him as like a breakaway from the pack, you know, rover. And I don't see him as an outside midfielder or a winger. 
but when he was captain for South Australia, he sort of did it all. And he was a very, he wasn't like super athletically talented. He didn't have ridiculous speed or strength or overhead ability, but he was smart. And the way that he played was smart. And you could see him talking to his team on the field. And it was those sort of intangible um, properties that made Luke Valente a really talked about prospect. Also, he was captain and that, you know, helps and draws a bit of attention to yourself but I know a lot of people have been astounded that Valente hadn't even found a debut on a rebuilding team being a talented talented prospect Mm. I think it really speaks to the depth that Frio have in all those midfield positions especially in Caleb Sarong as a guy that's shown that he's already ahead of a few of them now at this point yeah it's only going to get harder from here for the Dockers the other two players they do is Dylan O'Reilly and Jarvis Pina um also didn't end up getting a debut at all. So, Yeah, it's uh, been a bit tough for the mid-season draft recruits. Dylan O'Reilly being the um, third of three teams that we've uh, brought up. All of them have delisted their mid-season draftee. Mm. Dylan O'Reilly, Mitch Reed and and Lucky Hosey. So I wonder if we ever see a mid-season draft again. Well, there's a few teams that have actually kept players on and have turned them into best 22 players as well. Will Snelling, John Noble, a few that come to mind um, that have played basically every game or close to since their debut. Yeah. Um, So I think think if if it stays, if it comes back in next year, I think it's still a valuable uh, thing to have. But we will see. Only time will tell. We do have to move on to the trades and free agency section now there's a few big names being traded around uh or still yet to find their trade deals zach williams has already been locked in to carlton uh on a rumored four-year deal uh which is from the sounds of some of the money being thrown around i think carlton are offering him a little bit too much especially promising him midfield time in a position where he hasn't played his whole career but wants to obviously specializing as a halfback flanker for the majority of it Spending all of your money on a player, promising him to play in a position that we've seen, what, he played outside midfield when Cornelio was injured for, I think, three games. Mm -hmm. Offering a player, I'm guessing it's close to a million every year. The word word I've heard is about 900. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So 900k a year for a player to play a position you've seen him play three games in. Is the most fucking Carlton thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Jeez, they're not doing themselves any favours. And I'm sure they were like, oh, yeah, we were so close for, to getting Shield. Now I'll just, you know, bring in Williams. Bullshit. They're either going to totally go back on their word and do not play him in the midfield and just use him as like, you know, play a Cade Simpsons role. Haha, do that. Or they're going to play him in the midfield and they're going to be incredibly disappointed. Because one thing that Carlton have done a lot with their acquisitions of recent years is they have overrated them based on the teams that they have been playing on and then been disappointed when they can't reach the same heights on their much worse team. You'd have to think Jack Martin would be the prime example of that, who started the year really well, but I think the rest of the AFL knew that he wasn't the world-beating star that maybe the Blues list management made him out to be. And I think, I, I think an even better example, to be honest, is Nick Newman. I think they saw Nick Newman's numbers for Sydney and they thought, yeah, come do that for us. I'm sorry, but Nick Newman was playing around Heath Grundy, Dane Rampey, Jake Lloyd at Sydney. And now he's, last year he was trying to, you know, wrap his head around playing with fucking Jones, Plowman and Wiedering. And Wiedering in 2019 was a far cry from Wiedering in 2020. So it sort of sounds like it was not a bad backline, but last year that was not a good backline. This year, Wiedering was totally all Australian calibre, so eating my words, but I think it's exactly what happened with um, Nick Newman and Will Setterfield as well. They were part of stronger teams and stronger um, lines, and so they looked better. Then they come to Carlton where they're dealing with a lot less talent and structure, and they look worse. And I think that is exactly what's going to happen with Williams and... Carbon fans are going to be pissed. They're going to see his paychecks and they're going to get pissed off. Yeah, look, Newman, I don't know if I agree with so much. I actually think Newman had a really strong year in Carlton's backline last year, but Mitch McGovern is the other one that really comes to mind for me, who's 
basically gotten away with murder for the Blues and barely performs when he is in. And when he's not in, it's because he's injured with something or another. So you'd hope when he looked uh, good. He was playing on one of the best teams in the league and he was playing in the best forward line in the league. Yeah. yeah. He that hasn't was demonstrated Eddie Vance, any Charlie of that. Cameron, Tom Lynch, um, Riley Knight, Rory Atkins, Taylor Walker forward line, which is stacked. A guy who hasn't quite yet been offered a deal or locked into any club, Brad Crouch. Uh, the news is back and forth with Crouch. We've heard that he might be staying at the Crows. He might be coming to Victoria. He might be going up to the Gold Coast. We don't know. It's rumours all around. Uh, but what is what is the place? Where should Crouch be going in this offseason? I don't know why, like... There are midfielders that are supposedly up for trade and some midfielders that are still in contract that reportedly are getting chased harder than Crouch. Mm. I don't know what, like... I don't know if people don't think Crouch will play good in another team or whether he's just, like, got a weird... Whether he's just, like, a weird person and people don't want him (laughs) around. But I'm really astounded why people... Why clubs aren't chasing him and... Wouldn't it be in Adelaide's best interest if he got a big fat check and mm. then they got the best compensation? Because the compensation for free agency depends on the departing free agent's paycheck. Yeah. So if you were Adelaide, he had a really good year this year. Mm. This is would, the year to sell him off, if any. Wouldn't you be pushing him and yeah. wouldn't you be trying to drive up his price? I've like, no, there's no reason why Geelong, St. Kilda, even Gold Coast shouldn't be chasing him aggressively. And then there are other teams that could be chasing him to, you know, slightly less degrees like Essendon and Carlton. I could and see I the reason... Atta- attach Carlton to everything, mm-hmm. but for all of the bullshit like moves that Carlton do when they, you know, chase players that would literally add nothing to their team, Crouch actually would. I can see the reason being that the Crows seemed the most reluctant to... Uh play some young midfielders in and under the ball this year. A lot of the times this year when the Crouch Boys and Rory Sloan were available, they were in the midfield and Rory Laird even got moved in there and had a pretty good year as an inside midfielder, but I think that's the area that they're currently most reluctant to throw the kids into, which is understandable given that I think they came around. It's the hardest, it's one of the hardest positions to play as a young kid. I think Nick's came around. I think obviously Schoenberg has as we've heard mm. a million fucking times, he played senior football when he was 14 <laughs> in the country. Did you know? <laughs> yes. We do okay, know. So, they, so, so they threw Schoenberg in there. And I think mm-hmm. that opened up the door a little bit. And I think even though Laird was really good in the midfield, I think the revelation for them in the midfield was Keyes. I thought mm. Keyes had a... Excellent, excellent year. And I think that was the year that I think Lions fans wouldn't be sad to see him playing well in another team. I feel like a lot of Lions fans would have been really happy for him because the Lions midfield is just too good now. There's no way you can break into that to be a focal point, to be one mm-hmm. of the focal points of a midfield. But I'm sure people who, you know, at the Lions who'd seen him grow and develop wear that number one jersey for a number of years. Just really happy for Casey because this was the this was the season that we expected to see from him for yeah. the last few years. So he finished fifth really in the best and fairest uh, last night as well. So as that doesn't should. speak that doesn't speak to his improvement. Uh, I don't know mm. what does. The other guy headlining the free agent, obviously Joe Danaher, has been on everyone's minds last year. Uh, he was looking for a trade to the Swans, and this year he's come into restricted free agency. So uh, getting a deal done will most likely be a lot easier. And he wanted to deal with Adrian, Adrian Dodoro's bullshit to get him over the line. The most recent mm-hmm. news we've heard is the Lions uh, looking. He's toured the Lions facilities apparently or is set to very soon. So that Queensland is a possible option for Joe at the moment. Yeah. And I, I just, just want to, I, I just want to let listeners know, listeners or watchers know where we're getting our news from. <clears throat> Tom Brown on the 24th of September, 2020. <laughs> I don't think there'll be a clear... I don't think they'll... Not their will. They will. I don't think they'll be a clear-cut decision on Joe Danaher coming 
on Joe Danaher in coming days. Brisbane are concentrating on finals, full stop. And he has gone to the desert on a bush safari, dash, or something similar, full stop. Out of radio range, so to speak. I haven't read that tweet, but I think the way that you read it out is the way that I read every Tom Brown tweet in my mind. Like, literally trying to pass what the fuck I just saw. And I feel like when you read Tom Brown tweets, when you misspeak the syntax, <laughs> usually you're usually misspeaking better than the sentence is actually mm-hmm. constructed. Mm-hmm. So by getting it wrong, you're giving it more, you know, than it deserves. <laughs> but no, apparently yeah. Danaher Desert Safari Brisbane. That's it. That's, that's our yeah. source. Uh, look, Queensland or New South Wales, I think, is the most likely yeah, destination for him. Lions are the only destination for him right now. Mm. Mm. The Suns, I, I think, the Suns would be silly to take him on. Uh, yeah. He's only taking away from their young forwards. The Swans, probably the same, and the Giants, villains. So they're not allowed to. The Giants, villains, and literally can't afford to pay half of their good players, which is where they why they bleed too every year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, which to their credit is because they have too many good players, but try winning some finals assholes. <laughs> or, or making them. Um, but yeah, well, I feel like this Lions, I feel like the fact that Sydney failed last year and then D- and Dodoro sort of stood in front of that trade mm. was the best for Danaher because I think he's going to have a much better time at the Lions than he ever would have had at the Swans. And yeah. I know he knows the CEO or president or whatever the fuck at Sydney, but you don't play the games and train with this president or CEO. So who actually fucking cares? Um, The Lions seem to have an incredible culture. Um, He's going to win games there, which would be an exciting change of pace for him. And he might also win a final there, which would be an exciting change of pace for him. I feel like this is a very directed attack. While we're talking about the Bombers, uh, Adam Saad Adam Saad Saad is kind of in the headline of the trade news at the moment few clubs looking at Saad uh, apparently all we we know is rumours and whispers Melbourne is the one that I've heard the most news regarding um, and I don't think it would be the worst pickup for the D's to look at Saad no it wouldn't Um, we saw Neville Jetta sort of strangely fall out of favour this mm. year, even though they play different sort of back pocket roles, Neville Jenner usually plays a bit of an plays on the more overhead oriented forwards, yeah. and Saad doesn't even always play a lock defender. Sometimes he doesn't play on anybody, but when he does, he usually plays on the faster crumbing defenders. Mm-hmm. But I think him going to the D's would add a lot there and you wouldn't have to play harms in the back pocket just to give your back line a, you know, yeah. width of pace. And you would actually be able to push Salem up the ground a bit, which that's, would be, about to say. which would be using his talent mm-hmm. responsibly. And I think a big thing that Melbourne have to circle after not making the finals this year with the list they have is, optimizing their talent and playing players in positions where they can have an impact and not wasting people 64% on time on ground. Everyone everyone knows what I'm talking about. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. That was fucked. (laughs) No one, no one knows the real reason behind that. And Simon Goodwin wouldn't even tell anyone the real reason behind it. So I guess we'll never know. But uh, Saad, I think, would be great because it would shuffle some pieces into place where players could start playing positions they're more comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But I, I think we will have an Essendon episode where we talk about Essendon, but I think a good point to foreshadow is why Saad, somebody who requested a trade to come to Essendon, two, three years ago, is now requesting a trade to leave. Mm. We'll leave that for you to think about. Uh, Ben Brown, another one who is shockingly on the trade table. Uh, As of, (laughs) I've said this a million times before, but the man kicked 200 goals across the last three years, or nearly 200 goals, and North are now looking to push him out, sort of leaving them stranded with uh, only the likes of 
I'd say Tristan Cherry and Nick Larkey is probably the two most promising key forwards in their forward line now. Uh, Leaving him stranded when at the start of the year, people were confused as to why he hadn't been re-signed yet. Mm-hmm. Which is strange because at the start of the year, the fans and the club were under the impression that they were going to be winning. Yeah. And apparently, through my incredibly unreliable sources... <laughs> Before the season started, there was a three-year deal on the table for 750k a year. Mm-hmm. The money wasn't the issue, even though for somebody who led their who kicked over 60 goals for the last three years, that could be considered lowballing because we 2020 hadn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. But 750k over three years, uh, Ramanauskas, his manager, I think, um, said money's fine. Still a low ball, but fine. But three years was absolutely taking the piss when Mm -hmm. the outside view was that this is your marquee player. You literally... Obviously, they don't go to Tasmania because of him. But, like, Mm. you you play in the Blundstone Arena and you've got this guy from Tasmania and he's your star player. Like, it's a thing. Not only that, but I think Brown is one of the most... It is probably the spokesman for North Melbourne and has been. And he He's was their the most, most recognisable player. player. He most was active off-field. Exactly. Um, I don't know how you can just see a guy who's that valuable, probably to your culture as a whole, and uh, Fuck yeah. just say he's gone. That's it. Valuable to football culture. Mm. Valuable There's not many guys culture. like Ben Brown in the league at the moment. No, and that's a detriment on the league. The fact that Mm -hmm. Ben Brown somewhat stands alone in his outspokenness on social issues, but also his activeness in areas that need help from AFL players. So, good on you, Ben Brown. You shouldn't have to be dealing with this horse shit. Come to the Hawks. I mean, go to the Hawks. This is a biased (laughs) podcast. I was going to say, go to the Hawks and stay away from the Pies or something along those lines. Well, this, this is the thing about Brown. We've just wrapped him up for being such an excellent person. We all know he's a vegan dad and he's um, a brilliant spokesperson on social issues. Um, and he's really not afraid to show where his allegiance lies. So <clears throat> at Collingwood, I think after the year slash decade slash century, Collingwood has had with um, social issues and things happening in the locker rooms and off field, I feel like Ben Brown is one of these players who you will see pick his destination also based on principle because mm-hmm. unlike a lot of... <clears throat> unlike like all players, he has principles. Mm-hmm. So I'd put a line through Collingwood for no particular reason because of that. Um, I could see him having some differing, you know, personalities to the players at Geelong. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to go there. Um, Essendon, another, you know, big Victorian team that needs a key forward and would, you know, love a recognisable player like Ben Brown. One father in the whole playing group. And, and his name gonna, is Jake Stringer. And I'm going to take a wild stab in the dark and say that Ben Brown and Jake Stringer might be... <laughs> different sort of personalities mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. won't maybe couple together as buddies. Yeah. Um, but Hawthorne, even though we're supposedly, they are supposedly rebuilding, they've been dubbed the dad squad this year. And it, initially it was in a negative way and it was supposed to be a slight on Hawthorne, but they are the family club. Mm-hmm. And although humongous clubs turning ridiculous profits like Richmond have literally shut down their VFLW programs. Hawks have committed not only to keeping their VFLW um, extension of the club alive, but in the humongous sports facility that they're building in Dingley, they've announced that the female AFL Aussie rules facilities will be being built first in mm-hmm. hopes for a um, an AFLW license in 2022. So they've moved that to the forefront. 
and Ben Brown at North Melbourne, once North Melbourne received a license for an AFLW team. He worked with that team a lot. So I think Hawthorne is a really good cultural fit for him. And I think he would be the exact type of player that they would want Mitch Lewis to follow around and do exactly what he does. Because John Patton and Jack Gunston are different types of tall forwards. It's an incredibly nuanced position and you can't have fucking Todd Marshall like trying to follow around and copy, you know, Chris Dawes or different mm-hmm. different types of tall forwards. So I think Hawthorne's the place for him for that. Nathan Broad though. Mm. Not going to Hawthorne. Nathan Broad, though, uh, he's re- the, the, the most likely and the only uh, news that we've really heard with Broad is that the Suns are basically have all that pencil the deal for Broad to probably just wait until after finals to uh, yeah. have a look at. But uh, I think if, if he's going anywhere and it sounds like the Suns are the most interested, it's going to be there. Well, yeah, I feel like sometimes when you hear a little bit of early mail with mm. one particular destination and then it all goes quiet for a little bit usually that's a good indication that other clubs stopped chasing and they stopped following the scent because they would know for whatever reason that a certain player's camp management team have already decided on a location to move to and it makes sense Brandon Ellis went to um, Gold Coast. We can assume that Ellis and Broad are great mates. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Ellis is having a great time on the Gold Coast. Uh, he's been a really great addition to their uh, locker room and their culture, apparently. A self-dubbed introverted list a couple of years ago. Um, now with a couple of older, very happy, extroverted, loud characters to sort of like you know, not saying that they had a negative sort of aura around them, but to sort of bring some hype and some... <laughs> you need you need those guys. You need your yeah. Mitch Robinson uh, You need your Mitch Robinsons. That are going to get everyone up and about. Exactly. And especially on a team who's been struggling for so long. You need, you need someone like that. Uh, Broad, as we know, has had his fair share of uh, things go wrong off field, mostly of his own accord. Yeah. Um, but... From all, from all reports, uh, he's really turned himself around since the 2017 Grand Final. And if Brandon Ellis is the guy who is a great influence uh, over the players, and especially that back line, I think Broad will have no issues slotting in there. And I think Stuart Dew is the sort of coach to be forthright in asking players to have their head already pulled in mm-hmm. before they show up to training. I... I don't see, um, I, it's funny that I mention him, <laughs> um, given what's happened in the last week, news-wise, horseshit news, not actual <laughs> news. Um, but I, I don't see the same problems plaguing Gold Coast under Stuart mm-hmm. Dew and with their current playing list. So there's no... If you read any, you know, sort of fear-mongering articles about, you know, bringing in a volatile element like Nathan Broad, who's had a colourful off-field, off you know, headlines, that's, that's horseshit. Gold Coast are not that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not vulnerable to that even. And even yeah. if it did happen, it wouldn't be the sort of shit that would shake them. They're not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. The last uh, little bit we've got to go over, uh, we've got the top five picks or the players most likely rated to go in the top five. And we're going to My try top and five. look as top five. We're going to try and mix and match, see who is most likely to pick them up come the draft. Uh, we've got the teams with the top five picks, Adelaide at pick one, North Melbourne at pick two, Hawthorne at pick three, which is a very weird sentence to say out loud, Sydney at pick four, and Gold Coast at pick five. Luca, you've got a few players written down there. Yeah, uh, I do. Give me your thoughts. Who's going where? So we're going to look at the draft in future episodes in a lot more depth. But for now, the names you're going to hear the most of are Jamara Hagen, Logan McDonald, Elijah Hollands, and Denver... I just, I've been calling him DGB for so long. Denver Granger Barass <laughs> and Riley Philthorpe. Those are the names you're going to hear the most. And the... 
current teams that hold the top five picks, as Alex just listed, we can see already here mm. a couple of things that are, we, we can see some players that are going to fill in roles that are really needed in certain teams. But also, I can't remember a draft when the first five picks were this fucking tall. <laughs> it is. Like, it's the key. You've said it before, but it's the it's key, the key position draft, draft. But even Hollands isn't like a nuggety little midfielder. He's mm-hmm. a big-bodied midfielder. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start with Elijah Hollands <clears throat> for a very weird reason. Because I think Hollands could literally go anywhere in this draft because... in, in Sorry, in the top five mm-hmm. because... As soon as one of these teams decides that they don't need a key position player, they will take Hollands because Hollands is incredibly talented. He's got great skills for somebody who's as tall as he is. He's 188 centimetres and 81 kilograms. Granted, that was at the start of the season. And you imagine that these professional athletes in a year that they've had to spend in the gym have put on some muscle mass. Yeah. Hollands... Okay, so Hollands, 188 centimetres, 81 kilograms. Marcus Bontempelli in his draft year was 191 centimetres and 83 kilos. Now, I'm not saying... Now, I'm not going to say that he's the Bunt, but Mm -hmm. in Bunt's draft year, he was polarising. Some people did not see him in the top five. And at the start of his draft year, he was not in the top 10. And he played half back. And people likened him to, like, fucking... Luke Hodge and like a rebounding midfielder that's like very aggressive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not rebounding midfielder, but midfielder defender. So I think Collins is one of these players where if he goes to a team that is prepared to build a sort of forward line or midfield around him and really expose him to, you know, senior football at a young age, he can develop very quickly. And he's a, just like Marcus Buntempelli, he's a long fucking kick. Like, Marcus Bontempelli in his draft year was famous for the 100-metre play where he would sprint 40 metres and then kick the ball 60 metres. Mm-hmm. Like, that was his thing. And that's Holland's thing now. Um, so, look, as you said, you're not saying he's the Bont, but... Not saying he's the Bont, Is anyone but... you're going to compare him to? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually going to put him into the Gold Coast. All right. Five. And he's Look, not... if, if everything you're saying is true, will he slide that far? Probably not. I don't think he is the fifth best player, but I think he will slip mm-hmm. far because of these reasons. So, mm-hmm. Riley Philthorpe. Riley Philthorpe is 200 centimetres and 99 kilos. He comes from the uh, Wood, Wood, Woodland, Wood, Wood, Woodville West Torrens. Woodville West Torrens. I just didn't okay. know if it was Ville or Field. <laughs> I knew the West Torrens bit, the Eagles. Um, the You're team right. that Jack Lacocious came from, we mm-hmm. know that they are a great developers of key position players. And Phil Thorpe is no, uh, he's no exception. 200 centimetres, he has been pinch hitting in the ruck in the seniors. And I don't know if you go to a lot of state league games and see what their ruckmen look like, but that's fucked. <laughs> they usually are huge monsters of men. They're, they're usually... I don't, know, I don't know if you know what, who Nick Meese is. <laughs> I, if I was literally 17 years old, I would want to stay away from Nick Meese. Like it's literally every, like uh, yeah. the kids playing under 12s and the opposing Ruckman like, already has a beard. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> so playing, playing Ruck in state leagues is, is no slouch, even though Logan McDonald's stats look a lot better than Phil Thorpe's. Phil Thorpe's, mm-hmm. in my opinion, has the harder job. Okay. And, yeah. Um, I see Phil Thorpe... See, North Melbourne, they already have a Ruck forward, a genuine Ruck forward. Tristan Cherry is one of those rare Rucks that looks like he can spine between the forward and the Ruck, and he would never look like a complete player in either of those positions, like Mm -hmm. Callum Sinclair or David Hale. So I can't... I'm going to say not North Melbourne, and I'm not going to say Adelaide either, because I think getting Riley Philthorpe would actually be a waste for Adelaide because Riley O'Brien, I can see developing into a Todd Goldstein where you literally don't want anybody to fuck with that set of bounce. That's his spot and no one else's. You don't need a draft. 
defender rucks or, you know, ruck forwards. That's his spot. Mm-hmm. And Sydney already have a couple of 200 centimetre forwards, assholes. So, um, yeah, they've nicked Blakey. So, like, chill. Um, that's it. Phil Thorpe, I believe, is a mate of Will Day's. And mm-hmm. for me, that's enough to send him to the Hawks. <laughs> Lock it in. Done. Lock it in. Good, good move. No, um, but it, it, in all seriousness, um, in a post Ben McAvoy world where John Segler is the um, number one ruckman and he's two or three years older, Segler I could see as one of those rucks that would need a reprieve mm-hmm. from uh, the position and would enjoy having a forward being able to take his spot but not really be conceding hitouts by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, Denver. Grange Barass. This one's easy as shit. The swans the swans want him. Like the this swans is want just him. this is dead easy. Like ever since Heath Grundy left, the Swans have cycled through a few defenders. Mm-hmm. They've played Jordan Dawson back there. And he's great back there, but he's just not tall enough. He's in Essendon key defender range, which is five centimeters shorter than you have to be. And then Caden Brand was played um in the defense to very good uh, effectiveness this year, but he was injured. Mm-hmm. And Lewis Melican has been in and out and their list, their team selection every week tells me that they don't have as much faith, faith in Lewis Melican as they would like to have in their number one key defender. Yeah. And then Tom McCartan has been moved back there. And Tom McCartan looks like a natural key defender, so they'll keep him there. But Denver Grace Grange... Grange, Barras, is not a number one key defender. He's not going to play Heath Grundy's role, mm-hmm. but he's going to play more sort of a large Dane Rampey, small Jeremy McGovern role. Yeah. Um, and having your defenders locked in from a young age and being able to develop together, you get five seasons of... Denver playing with Will Goulds and Tom McCartan and Callum Mills and Dylan Stevens, and they'll be, you know, all fucking all Australians. That's your backline for the future. That's for your the next 10 for the years. Future. That's, that's ridiculously stacked. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I've always thought about backlines is that you should always try and draft them around the same time and give time to play together because mm-hmm. the best backlines in recent memory have all been backlines that have played together since the start, like mm-hmm. for their entire careers. Um, which leaves Logan McDonald and Jamara Eugle Hagen as the last two um, with uh, <clears throat> North Melbourne and Adelaide as the last two teams. And the reason why I have left the top two picks and the top two best players in the same place is because I think either team could use either of these players. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamar Eugle Hagen, this exercise I'm going to, this exercise is for listeners to sort of hear what I think the big draft picks should be used on, what the teams need, but mm-hmm. also what the players are like. Yeah. It's just Eugle assuming Hagen, that the academies don't exist exactly. uh, whatsoever. Unfortunately, um, Western Bulldogs have uh, rights on Jamar Eugle Hagen, which means they can. Uh, which means if he was picked at pick one, it would just be a bid and they could just take him. Even if they don't have enough draft points, they can just go into a deficit. Anyway. That's how it happens. <laughs> uh, he hasn't nominated them yet, so mm-hmm. we don't know. But Jamar Eugle Hagen is a rangy, tall forward who is sort of like a mixture between Buddy Franklin and Nick Blakey. He is athletic. He isn't the tallest you know, key forward in this draft, but he can jump and he is great as a pack contested mark and as a lead up mark. He is not a forward that has, you know, one way of getting goals. He can take a pack mark. He can take one-on-one contested marks. He can lead up because he's very athletically gifted Mm -hmm. and he's got great goal sense. He's a full package. Um, That being said, Take with a grain of salt how teams are going to rate him because in the past we've seen players 
play on super teams and look very good. He plays for the Chargers and he's played for the Chargers for the last couple of years, as so has Hollands. So obviously Matt Rowell is the greatest player to ever play the game in existence. <laughs> but sometimes I worry about some of the Chargers players looking a bit better than they might be. But mm. I don't think this is the case with Jamar Hagen. I just think that he won't be like Matt Rowell. I don't think yeah. he's going to have a first Immediate year. Immediate impact like, oh. look like he's going to light the competition on fire as soon as yeah. he plays two games. And I think the Bulldogs, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because people are going to be patient. But mm. um, weirdly enough, even though Logan McDonald is literally just at the start of the year, one centimetre taller and one kilogram heavier, Logan McDonald seems like the player that will be able to sort of tussle with the seniors because he's been doing that in the waffle. He made yeah. the all Australian, the all Western Australian waffle team as an, uh, as an underager before he was drafted. So it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he was like either first, second, or maybe third in the, in the goal kickers. Yeah. Who was the leading goal kicker in the waffle this year? That'd be fucked. I probably should have checked that, but <laughs> he won't require a lot of patience. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to choose between the last two because I. Think... <laughs> All right, it's up in the air. It's, it's up uh, in the air. for the for the viewer to decide for themselves. Yeah, for the viewer to decipher my incredibly mm. disjointed, rambling draft <laughs> notes. It uh, I think it's that was basically draft notes in written form. Um, you got all the I, think I was just reading verbatim like my scribbles, <laughs> reading big footy forum posts mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the people who have the most badges. Because <laughs> that's, that's how I conduct my research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty you? sure that's. I'm pretty sure that's how most AFL journalists conduct their research. <laughs> they go to big footy and they're like, "Oh, this dude's a, he's a player sponsor." This guy knows. This, this guy, guy knows, knows what's going on. This is I've, the I've, never in, I've never interviewed a uh, a person in my life. What are, What do you mean? Um, but yeah, that's all. That's all we've got uh, for this first pilot for today. The off season is five weeks away, and I couldn't be more excited. Mm, it's uh, it's going to ramp up very very quickly after the grand final at the end of October because obviously everything's had to get pushed back a month. And I think it's all condensed a lot closer than what it normally would be. Sure. Uh, so season's going to end and there's going to be all the draft uh, and trade news as sooner than you can imagine. It's going to come thick and fast. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. We've got plenty, plenty to cover uh, in the coming months or two. So that's, yeah, that's after this first episode. Thanks so much for listening. Slash I've been watching. looking Catalano and he's been Alex Catalano. And that was us going off season. We'll, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. All right. We'll work on that. <laughs> we didn't discuss that beforehand and I'd regret we it. We didn't. We didn't. It's okay. It's over. <laughs>